Employment Roundtable podcast is produced by the Gable Gottwalls Law Firm. The Employment Roundtable is provided for educational and informational purposes only and does not contain legal advice or create an attorney-client relationship. The information provided should not be taken as an indication of future legal results. Any information provided should not be acted upon without consulting legal counsel. Welcome to the Employment Roundtable, where we provide you with the perspectives and information you need to make wise employment decisions for your employees and your organizations. I'm your host, Talitha Ebright, and today we're talking with my Gable Gottwell's partners, Paula Williams and Ellen Adams, about the second of a four-part absenteeism series titled, Where Is Everybody? This episode looks at how to make sure your absenteeism policy meets your organization's needs. So Ellen, I'm sure it's easy to get into the weeds when creating policies about attendance. What would you say are the absolutely critical features every attendance policy should have? Gosh, uh, that's a great question. And I will try and give a high level answer as opposed to a, uh, let me revise your policy answer, (laughs) which is hard for me. So I'm going to rein it in. But um, absolutely critical in an attendance policy is that you're reflecting to your employees the why of your attendance policy. So why do you have an attendance policy? And then what are your expectations within that policy? So why do we have it? It's important and necessary for our employees to come to work and be in a condition where they are ready, willing, and able to fulfill their job duties. Uh, What is are you talking about being on time, tardiness? Are you talking about staying for the duration of your shift and not leaving early? We call those early departures. Um, What exactly do you mean by attendance? Make sure you're covering everything that you need to in a policy. Uh, And then the next pieces are just to make sure that you're aligning your attendance policy with other leave policies that you have in place. Uh, like PTO and sick leave and other FMLA leaves, um, that's Family Medical Leave Act, uh, or leave under the ADA, Americans with Disabilities Act. Um, And then one key piece that I really recommend employers put in their policies are notice provisions. So what do I, as an employee, have an obligation to do when I can foresee my need for an absence? Like, I want to go on vacation. Uh, What does my employer want me to do in that instance? And how does that align with my um, employer's PTO policy? But the other notice piece that we really want to make sure we hit on is what do I need to do as an employee in the unfortunate situation where I wake up one day and I'm not feeling well, or I'm at work and I get a call that my house is flooding or, you know, some other situation is happening and needs my immediate attention. So having notice provisions is incredibly helpful. Um, And then the why and the what and the procedures are really what. Yeah, Ellen, if I can jump in here on the notice provisions, you mentioned aligning with other policies. And I I think that a lot of the things we consider in absence policies, we also consider in PTO policies. So how much notice does someone need to provide to take PTO? And there may be leave that's approved and leave that's not approved. And so when we're talking about absences, making sure that our absence policy aligns with, um, you know, whether leave is approved and not approved and what counts as an absence, making sure that those are consistent with each other. Um, Ellen, I'm going to put you on the spot if that's okay. Sure. 
I thought you mentioned flooding and I thought it'd be fun to take, take you through a couple scenarios. Yeah. Okay. Is that okay, Talitha? I love it. Okay, great. So, okay. Let's take the employee who uh, gets notified that there's a plumbing leak and there's a flood at the house. All right. This employee has no PTO. Mm-hmm. Used all of it. And we have a 48 hour notice provision. Mm-hmm. Does the employee get to go? I guess the, empl- let's say the employee is going to go, right? The house is flooding, but right. the employee's not going to stay at work. So the employee leaves. Does the employer discipline? So if you have a 48 hour notice provision for unexpected absences, you're really not going to um, be able to enforce that on a consistent basis because 48 hours is just um, no one has an emergency 48 hours in advance. I wish all of my life <laughs> I had 48 hours for. Uh, my emergencies, I usually get uh, significantly less than 48 hours notice. So um, I would recommend having a policy that you know gives one to two hours notice for emergent events, unforeseeable circumstances. Um, and then... I would also look at just how much PTO you're you're providing. So paid time off is incredibly generous when employers can afford it. And there are certainly instances where employees want to generously accommodate situations like a flow, but just don't have the resources to provide that as paid leave. So just because you have exceeded your PTO balance doesn't Necessarily mean that your absences are excessive. Um, so in communicating to your employees, it's very helpful to provide examples of what excessive absenteeism would be. Now, going back to it should align with your PTO policy. Um, it's great if you can say when you've exhausted your PTO, your absences are excessive, um, but that might not be the case in every circumstance. Uh, So depending on the employee's history with the company, whether there have been disciplinary actions already in place, uh, how the employee handled the situation, uh, all of those would lead me to assess whether there's a true policy violation and whether discipline is warranted. Um, if If the employee had a history of excessive absenteeism and failed to follow notice procedures and a written policy. Okay. Ellen, you had to jump out. We're going to call that an early departure and that that's strike yes. one on mm-hmm. the employment, yeah. no, Godwell's employment roundtable. With no notice. I provide with no that. notice. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just going to jump in here and wrap up what I, where I think we were when, when you got cut off. Um, I think you're making the great point that it's going to depend on the employee's history and how they've treated absences and notice provisions in the past. And I was going to jump in and also say that it sounds like we need to make sure that we're really documenting why they needed the leave and then um, whether the notice was provided and whether it was reasonable that they couldn't provide the notice so that we know, hey, is, you know, is this person has, do they have a history of abusing our policy or has this person taken their leave consistent with our policy? And this is a true emergency. And we're going to, we're going to make an exception here. And then when you make an exception, you don't have to make that exception every time going forward for that same employee or any other. 
you've just explained in your file why you made the decision that you did in that moment. Pleetha, I have another question for Ellen, if if we're willing to give her a second chance. I would love it. Um, But just please note that our policy requires at least two minutes uh, before (laughs) jumping off of the podcast. I will will do my best. (laughs) Um, Okay, Ellen, FMLA. Yes. So we know from handling FMLA lawsuits, they can be scary. They, you don't have to go to the EEOC first. You can just take your lawsuit to court um, and they can name managers and sue, uh, sue the managers in the lawsuits. And so, um, you know, I think FMLA kind of ups the ante a bit when we're talking about absences. It creates a whole set of regulations that we have to know backwards and, and frontwards when we're considering absences for serious medical condition and the like. And so, you know, how does, how does the absence policy fit into that? If we have someone on FMLA leave intermittent, intermittent FMLA leave, and they don't satisfy our notice under the absence policy, can we still discipline under the absence policy, even though this person falls under FMLA, qualified FMLA intermittent leave? Yeah, great question. So this is another reason why notice provisions are so helpful and important. So if you have someone who is on intermittent FMLA, they still have an obligation to follow your notice procedures. Now, you might still consider their absence as an approved FMLA absence under your policy, but that doesn't preclude you from disciplining them separately for failing to follow notice procedures. Um, You know, the FMLA entitles individuals to take protected leave and to take it intermittently, um, but they are not permitted to not provide notice or just take leave unexpectedly without making any attempt to follow notice provisions in a policy. So uh, you can discipline while still complying with your your obligations under the FMLA. Thanks to both of you. I really um, have appreciated you know, the focus that we've had so far on um, absenteeism policies, attendance policies, PTO, um, and 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 talking about the notice provisions, shifting gears just a little bit because I think that um, you know, uh, as we've learned in the pandemic, a good way to help curb you know um, unnoticed and unexpected absenteeism is you know maybe some sort of approach to telecommute uh, uh, yeah telecommuting if that's possible um, for a particular employee's job, um, and so I'd really appreciate. Um, Ellen or Paula, whichever of you'd like to take this, um, to talk a little bit about how, you know, we know that there's no one size fits all approach to telecommuting. So what are the different types of telecommuting arrangements that an employer might consider? And what should employers keep in mind when creating policies for each of those arrangements? Um, Well, I'll jump in. Um, To me, Employers, we've worked with clients who have a variety of different approaches, Uh, fully remote, where someone is really working strictly from a remote location and not coming into a work site. Uh, We have more of a hybrid remote arrangement where 
uh, it'll be on a fixed schedule. So someone works remotely, but they come into the office on Wednesdays where most employees are expected to be in the office. Or it could be the schedule is so that they're at the office when other members of their working group are at the are at the office. So lots of different hybrid fixed schedule type approaches. And then we also have sort of this um, philosophy that's developed, I think, in response to the pandemic, which is a sort of a flexible telecommuting hybrid approach where uh, it's really accommodating employees' personal needs to be out of the office in addition to um, you know, giving the employer just another flexible option around scheduling. So uh, your policy really kind of depends on what your offering is, but no matter where you are on the spectrum, I would say, you know, there's a few things that you want to address with your telecommuting employees. And one would be just that the expectations are going to be the same, that your policies that are in the workplace are going to apply equally when you're when you're working remote, and that uh, means that you are to be accessible and attend to your job duties. Um, so in the most hybrid remote where people are kind of just choosing which days to work remotely and aren't on a fixed schedule, that's probably the one where I would suggest a really, um, you know, sort of written in a policy where there's scheduled communication times, where the supervisor and that particular employee are making sure that they're on the same page with respect to when that employee is supposed to be available and accessible. Um, those are more unique arrangements. Um, but making sure that they understand all the policies apply in the same way, addressing timekeeping and expenses in particular for non-exempt employees who need to record all hours worked, whether inside the office or out, um, addressing cybersecurity and data privacy concerns that might exist from a remote office location um, that present unique challenges uh, to, to doing a telework arrangement. Paula, what am I forgetting? Um, what else would you recommend putting in a teleworking policy? I think you I think you covered the main parts. One thing that came to mind when you were talking was um, in a, a real tell for employers on whether their employees are sitting at the desk available to work. And that's when they're constantly getting emails that say sent from my iPhone. <laughs> and it's like, wait, I, I thought you were at right in front of the computer, but, and so, um, <laughs> but then to your point, making sure that they know what the expectations are, but then following through and having those conversations. And that can be more difficult remotely because it's easy to walk into someone's office. And when someone's remote, you know, we have to say, Hey, I need to have a conversation with you about your work performance or yeah. whether or not you truly have been available or why you missed that meeting. And, and, and that's more difficult, but it's still so important because you're, you know, Ellen and I know um, from a lot of experience here that when whenever someone gets the lawyer involved, the first thing we want to see is the file, <laughs> um, what happened. And, and if we're brought a file and they say, well, they missed work a lot and their performance was poor, 
okay, well, let me see where the performance was poor. What did you do about it? Did you address it and how? And that gets more difficult. It can be more difficult remotely, but it's still really important that you're expecting things from your employee and they need to still expect things from you, um, that, especially that accountability. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's really, um, I think that's a really helpful point, Paula. And particularly, you know, as both of you know, I have worked remotely for um, almost a decade now. And something that I learned, and, and so I think this is helpful, just, I think it's helpful for employers to understand from a from an employee support perspective and an employee development perspective, that remote working um, is just different in the sense that it's harder to kind of gauge the temperature of the workplace and gauge priorities and gauge um, what the expectation is when you're not physically in the office or the workplace. And so the more the employer can create an environment in which there are regular communications that help the employee understand what those expectations are and understand what those priorities are, um, the more supported the employee is going to feel and the more production the employer is going to get from the employee. Yeah, I think that's a really valuable perspective to share. And it goes back to the culture that I think we've talked about in prior recordings and this one, um, what the culture is, if you can get that to transcend to your remote employees through communication and interaction, that just reinforces all of your policies and what they actually mean. Um, I would add, you know, one of the things that um, you want to make a distinction about is offering remote work as an accommodation is a completely separate and unique issue from offering remote work as a modified arrangement that's mutually beneficial to the employer and the employee based on a variety of circumstances that have nothing to do with whether the employee is experiencing a mental or physical impairment that might um, make them uh, make it appropriate for them to have a reasonable accommodation of remote working. So in any policy, you do want to make sure that that's clear. And then for those workplace modifications where someone is being permitted to work remotely and making sure that they understand that that doesn't change the at will status of the employment relationship and that there's, you know, the employer still has the discretion that if uh, the expectations are not met, that remote work could certainly come to an end. Um, and there's there's different analysis when we're talking about it in the context of disability, but I won't I won't get into all that. <laughs> no, that's super helpful. Were you going to add something, Paula? Or no, I only okay. covered it. Thanks. All right, perfect. Well, you know, thanks so much for another useful episode, Paula and Ellen. Um, I especially appreciated hearing about why it's so important to ensure consistency between different policies. Um, in this case, like attendance, PTO, and telecommuting. Um, so thank you for your perspective on those issues. And thank you to our listeners for listening to another episode of the Employment Roundtable. Please join us next time as we dig into the third part of Where Is Everybody and look at how to enforce expectations and the risks of ignoring your policy. Thanks, Paula and Ellen. Bye. Thanks.
The Employment Roundtable podcast is produced by the Gable Gottwalls Law Firm. The Employment Roundtable is provided for educational and informational purposes only and does not contain legal advice or create an attorney-client relationship. The information provided should not be taken as an indication of future legal results. Any information provided should not be acted upon without consulting legal counsel.